0: Hello, everybody. I'm Pete Wright. And today on Navigating Change, we bring you a conversation about finding your calling. Howard Tybell and I had a chance to sit down and reflect a bit and ask each other some important questions that center on this one key topic. Where do you want to make an impact in the world? Now, our history has led us to this point in our lives, but what does it mean to lead a life of contribution? It's a little bit of a different kind of show today. So we invite you to settle back, relax, reflect, and enjoy. Welcome to Navigating Change, the podcast from Howard's back porch.
1: Nice. The podcast with Pete Wright, all the way from Portland, Oregon. That's right. In That's right. New York State at the Chautauqua Institution with me.
0: How is uh, how is your Chautauqua season so far? This is sort of a perennial thing that we do here, talking about uh, Chautauqua from
1: Chautauqua. Couple of amazing lectures. What have you learned? Oh, George Campbell. Yeah, design thinking, George Kimball. Ready? President of the D School. I say one, you say two. I say three, you say one. (laughs) That was an amazing way of showing failure. Do you want to describe it? Uh, Just take a minute. It's your big learning from Chautauqua this
0: year. That People deserve to
1: know. So basically, he had people... He he modeled this with his son on stage. George Kemble is the one of the executive directors of, of uh, the D School at Stanford, and uh, he said, "You know, one of the things we have to get more comfortable with is the, this idea of failure." So he had his partner up, stand up, and all you do is you say one, your partner says two, you say three, then your partner says one, then you say two, and you accelerate this, and you end up messing up. A lot. A lot. And then he had us stop, and he had us reflect on what the experience was like messing up. The first thing they said was they would laugh, like this emotional release of laughter, followed by this awareness of embarrassment. And he talked about, in all the times he's done this, years over, years and years, no matter what culture it is, people's bodies even turn away from each other. It's like there's this sense of, oh, my God, I just failed. He had us then do it again after pointing this out, and it was... Snap two, then you say three. Then the then the other person snaps. So the one is supplanted by a snap, replaced. And snap. what was amazing about the second time through is that now that we were aware that we have this tendency towards negativity around failure, it was so much easier because he also had us. If we failed, he had us like raise our hands in jubilation mm-hmm. and say ta da, ta da, and. I was so much more effective with my partner the second time through. Once we could it was laugh about it, more fun. Yep. Basically, it's the fact that this idea of failure is so ingrained in us. This like avoidance of failure. We're, who were you doing it with? Was it another stranger in the that was complete sitting next stranger, to you? complete stranger? Who basically stranger. when we were done, she just wa- she left immediately. Like she didn't want to. Be, she was. I think she was afraid of doing another yeah. exercise yeah. with me in particular. I can relate to that.
0: <laughs> I uh, I was doing it with my wife, and I'm curious about your your uh, experience because I would never have done it with my wife. I can. I can Relate to that too, (laughs) especially now that I've, I've done it with my. I found myself, and you know, I've known my wife for a long time, Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, we've been married eighteen years, but we've been effectively together for thirty. And I feel like I was more embarrassed, and filled with shame—that unconscious shame—doing it with her. That I would have been with, with somebody a stranger. I didn't know. That's interesting. Isn't that interesting? I think it's interesting when you think about how it relates to you working on a team with with somebody who's a colleague and a friend, people who you've been working with for years. Yeah. Isn't it interesting to think about how we sort of, we, we may carry an unconscious fear of failure because of the relationship that we have with people
1: that we know very well. Yeah, that's a whole other level yeah. of that. That would have been a great question for him. Yeah, How is it different if you're doing with this with somebody that you know versus a stranger? Howard, we should get him on the show. Let's table this for now. I've already going talk put George. the word out. He's a
0: fantastic All individual. Right. I hope to see him here. We've got we've got a little bit of a different kind of podcast today. We uh, we're we're talking about uh, callings. Do you want mm-hmm. to set us up? This seems this is uh, something you've been noodling over for a while.
1: So I've been thinking about purpose. You know, as I think about the work that I do. You know, there's all different domains. There's the domain of purpose around being a father or being a husband, or and then there's purpose around work. If you step back from making a life in those different domains and you say, all right, what does it mean to have a calling? That's a really interesting question. I mean, there's people that we can look at in history and point out they had a calling, you know, whether it's John F. Kennedy. You know, I think I'd say we'd. There was a sense you could tell a story about what his calling was. Or Martin Luther King. It's a, that's a really mm-hmm. good one that has made its way through history and our culture. Steve but then you Jobs. think about Steve Jobs. Right, exactly. But then we look at the rest of us, right? The rest of us lay people. Schmucks on a porch. There's two right now. <laughs> It's like, all right, so what does it mean to have a calling? And I think here's why I think this is relevant. And it's relevant to anybody. You know, this happens to be a podcast for higher education leaders or people that are practicing in the space of higher education, or even independent schools, K through twelve. There's having a calling to do something. You know, I just thought of being a teacher. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, one way to measure calling for being a teacher is that they're not doing it for the money. There's a reality of We grow up in the world, and then to take care of aspects of our lives, we have to make money. When those things align with things that we care about, and we can take care of the people in our lives and ourselves, and do something that we love, there's a certain synthesis in this. But there's a deeper question here, because I think when we look back, if I look back 20 years from now, God willing, say, all right, did I step up to do what was meaningful to me? Right. That is a question we often don't ask. And I'd want people in my life, people in education, people are looking at this constant change to start asking themselves or maybe continue asking themselves in a more deeper way, am I living a life where I look back and I'm going to say, I made a difference?
0: Yeah, I, you know, I look at you in, in particular, and, and so many of us, right, who have been doing something in the field for many decades, coming to this question and asking, have I been doing something that aligns with my calling all these years? Am I discovering something new about what I'm doing that aligns with the influence I want to have on the world. You know, yeah. we all have thumbs, and where we apply the pressure of our thumbs is the influence that we have, the stuff we can touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that that you know, does that align with what it's gonna say on your tombstone?
1: And I would say that I'm more in that question today than ever that discovery of what is my calling, what it, we, we you and I have talked about this idea right. of provoking the avalanche, right. right? If there is an avalanche coming or if there's avalanches that will appear at different times, and I'm speaking specifically in the domain of education, what's my contribution in that space? And you could ask that if you're a college president, you can ask that if you're a trustee, you can ask that if you're a, uh, a professor or administrator, what contribution am I looking to make versus getting through the day? And today I think it's harder than ever because there are so many things that show up that in the course of our week, when we look back even on our week, I think most of it for most of us is putting out fires. Right. And at some point we have to decide if we're going to, Find a way to not let that consume us. The other thing I'll say about this, and I'm curious what you think about this, even for yourself, mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm settling into this idea. It's not like there's a calling that I'm going to orchestrate. It's like, okay, there it is. I found it, and now I'm going to do it. It's more like being open, being ready. You know, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with this or not, there's a public story out there, and I'm going to go back to George Bush too. after 9-11. There's a story that he found his presidency. He, in that domain of being president, he found it after 9-11. I found a certain calling. It showed up after um, our son passed away. Mm-hmm. And it, it, was, it was the synthesis of the loss with having worked and been in a relationship with other men, and then three or four of us came up with this idea of Fathers Forever, sort of a, a place for men to come together who have experienced the death of a child. That never would have shown up if I wasn't paying attention, if I wasn't open to the idea. But it's not even like I, I chose it. It was there, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm either going to shrink away from it or I'm going to dive into it. How how does your your experience and we'll say your active choice
0: to jump into it? How does does your experience there align with what you see sort of forming as your your calling as you think about this stuff as you you sort of pour yourself introspectively into this question of of calling with the work you do in in higher ed and the work you do to um, you know support your family and your kids like how how do how are these things coming together for you fathers forever you know on the surface it's a very different kind of organization than going in and working with institutions of higher oh, it's education completely
1: different right? yeah so so how do those things align having this awareness of this idea of a purpose or a calling or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. is present. Yeah, yeah, one way I could say it's in the background, and what I'm what I'm doing is I'm choosing to put it in the foreground. And I think if I was in a group having this conversation, it's a pretty compelling question, right? If I say to you, Pete, what's your calling? You have to have a pause on that one, right? Yeah. And I would imagine if you talk to somebody who has a public calling, they might spew the thing that they have been investing in. It's a different kind of question, mm-hmm. but I think it is a foundational question. You know, sometimes it shows up as, I've worked with a college president, and they know that they've got another three years. And I'll say to them, so when you look back 10 years from now, what do you want people to be able to say? And that's sometimes called legacy, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's a you know, some for some, and this is my experience, at the Chautauqua Institution, the president's, the new president's here. He's been on the job for six months. And the um, previous president, towards the end, it was like the amphitheater. The new amphitheater was something that he wanted to be able to say that on his watch, he did what he could to shepherd that thing in. Right. Right. He can look back and say that he made that happen. Calling is even bigger than that. See, those are things you do. Yeah. The thing that sticks
0: in my head around calling is that you see something in the world that you acknowledge needs fixing in some way, shape, or form. And a calling is a deep-seated belief that you're the person who has Mm. a responsibility to change it. Mm. Many of us see things in the world that we acknowledge need fixing. There were a lot of people who said, oh, you know, the amphitheater here at Chautauqua is quite literally falling over, and it is something that needs fixing. But then there are the few individuals who said, we're the ones who are responsible to caretake and to replace that thing. That's going to be our call. That would be
1: the calling around that device, right? So so I think one way at this, one entry point to this is, when you're at your best, Mm -hmm. what shows up? Are you asking me now or are we just talking about it? So when you're at your best, when you're at your best, and let's let's keep it in the domain of work. Like when you find yourself... Connected, and I'll even go so far as to say, is passionate, and feeling like, you know what, I just did something important and good. Yeah. What is that?
0: Well, uh, you know, I my my last full-time corporate gig, uh, I was a director of public relations of a big company, and and uh, I I found myself in a space of losing connection to the stories we were trying to tell, whether it's in the media or, you know, it was a, uh, it was a higher ed institution. And so it was a uh, but it was a for profit. And so, you know, I found myself getting more and more corporate distance from the people we were most directly impacting. Right. Mm-hmm. The students in the classroom, the classroom experience. So I quit. I quit because I wanted to tell stories and I wanted to mm-hmm. have a direct impact on the kinds of stories that help people make sense of the world as a positive place, mm. as a good place, and in fact, when I first quit, I don't know if you remember my very first. Because you and I have been working together since the very beginning, right? Mm. I mean, really, we've been together nearly ten years to the day. And my very first business card actually was Pete Wright Storyteller, right? And, and I'm, I, I am, uh, you know, over the years it's evolved, and I've, uh, you know, I. But but I feel like storyteller is a moniker that has served me better than just about anything else and in the context of this conversation of calling you know I, if for example i just did this this um a, a short film uh, that i shared with you yeah, uh, on a young beautiful. man who um uh, you know who has uh, who lives with autism and down syndrome and and uh, the impact that he has made on my life when i when you ask him when i met my best it is telling his story to people who believe that, you know, life is exhausting and hard and the world is exhausting and hard. And if there is one message that you can walk away from, you know, seeing a story uh, like, like this one that lets, you, that lets you remember, you know, we've all got it pretty good and we all have a footprint that we leave behind us. Perspective. Yeah. When I'm at my best, it's telling stories that help people make sense of the world as a good place. And, and I feel like we need that. And, and so here's the thing right now that is, that's why this definition of calling had such an impact on me, because here we are right now where there are people who believe that this world we live in is a complete disaster, right? It's a dumpster fire. And you know what? You look around and you see these stories of people all over the world who are making it better? Who are putting out dumpster fires? Yeah. Like and where are we putting? It? Yeah. So I, that's the
1: thing that I'm taking responsibility in my small way. It's like, and I can see now with that example, that if you're not fighting against that, with what are the stories that inspire us? Yeah. The story that's almost like this wave that just keeps coming, is what's wrong with the world. Right. Go
0: ahead and swipe LinkedIn. Go ahead and swipe up on Facebook and. And if you come from yeah.
1: another country to America, oh yeah, you have an appreciation for what this country is. At the same time, if you're somebody that looks at what's going wrong with America, mm-hmm. your whole frame is going to be looking for um, the negativity. And if, if we're going to put ourselves in that kind of positive mood, it, it does live in kind of those kind of powerful storytelling.
0: And and, and it comes back, you know, to bring it back to higher education, there is a narrative that we've talked about a number of times in the media around the failing higher ed system. It is not sustainable the way it is. It is you know we're burning down our institutions and our you know our uh, our our dear friend uh, Brian Alexander who coined the Queen Sacrifice. His blog is just full of of these stories, these really genuinely
1: tragic stories. Yeah, dystopian worlds. Yeah. And he's he has multiple levels of. <laughs> I love that he'll give us a dystopia. He goes, oh, that's not even my bad one. Yeah, I got four right, or five layers, right. much right. worse than that. And and, and I would say and I get despair from just his his superficial. <laughs>
0: Stories. <laughs> well, I and I have to say because because we we do uh, love Brian. He's he's great. He's also you know he's also able to pivot that into uh, stories of great opportunity. Oh, in, yeah. in the education Absolutely. economy ahead. This is just you know we're we we can get mired in change, uh, and if you're a glass half empty person, it's pretty easy to get mired in change. So what what is it that's our responsibility as yeah. leaders mm-hmm. in higher education, whether you're faculty, staff, administration, um, you know to to try to make sense of the world as a positive yeah. place. For growth, how well, do we grow? Oh, well, see, what's so, interesting anyway. is
1: it's it's so easy, and it seems in education to put a story around that it's not as bad as people are saying. That's different from let's have a candid conversation about what's going on. Yeah, and different come than come things pl- don't need to be fixed, right. right? But come from a place of possibilities. Yeah, like what does it mean that if we put our heads together and we have the tough conversations around tenure? around enrollment, around the cost of education, around civil discourse, around diversity. These are all things that are present for us. And I agree with you. There is a lot of good work happening out there. What I want to see is more people seize on the idea that what is it that they're going after. You've settled in and the world comes back to it when you're at your best, when you're telling a story that, inspires you. And if it inspires you, it's going to likely inspire others. The people that I get to interact with in education around the country have such a diverse set of roles. We need to find more time to be asking this question, where is it I want to make an impact? When every time I ask that question of people, they find that to be, that's a great question, suggesting in some ways that they don't really have the time to think about this. We need to make more time to be in conversation with each other about what matters to us that where we want to have an impact
0: okay I admit it this conversation went on much longer than he and I had anticipated and so we're calling this part one and we will continue in a future episode as always thanks for your time and your attention on behalf of Howard Tybel. I'm Pete Wright and we'll catch you next time right here on Navigating Change the podcast from Teibel Education